Very good. So you might have been wondering, you know, for a, a holiday, why, uh, why is the Haftorah reading Ezekiel chapter 1? You know, about, uh, you know, angels and chariots and wheels of fire and, you know, and all of that. It, sound, it doesn't sound like it goes with uh, the, the Feast of the Harvest, right? Yeah, so uh, Ezekiel chapter 1, it doesn't seem to go with uh, everything. Right, uh, but again, it's this idea that uh, God came into this world. It's sort of like an incarnational kind of thing. That it's a revelation of God. That God came, uh, left His abode, so to speak, and came into this world uh, at Mount Sinai. Uh, and uh, and so there is this. Uh, sense on Shavuot, this uh, desire to enter into the heavenly realm, uh, to engage God, uh, to be in his presence uh, at Sinai. So it's it's not just the, the fact of the Torah, it's the whole ex- Sinai experience, you know, that is uh, being... Um, uh, that, that is being observed or celebrated uh, on this holiday. So, uh, uh, on Shavuot, uh, it is indeed uh, a time uh, of uh, giving thanks for this relationship with God uh, that took place there. So, just a, a little background. I think most of us probably uh, are aware of it, uh, that uh, Shavuot is one of uh, three pilgrimage holidays, Right? There's a number of different holidays, but there are three holidays where people are supposed to all come to Jerusalem, right? We know that uh, certainly the Feast of Unleavened Bread uh, and Sukkot in the spring and the fall. And they're very similar holidays, right? They're very similar uh, in that you have a holy day, you ha- then you have a bunch of days in between, and then you have a holy day at the end, the beginning and the end, Right? I, uh, and then I, uh, at the end of the year, on um, the um, holiday of Sukkot, right, you have a holy day at the beginning, a bunch of intermediate days, and a holy day at the end. And then there is, in the middle, Shavuot. Shavuot is, I was listening to, uh, I was listening to a, a rabbi talking about it. He called it, he's, he referred to it as, Shavuot is the outlier, I thought that was interesting. You know, it's uh, it's the odd holiday out, uh, so to speak. There isn't a lot of tradition uh, having to do with a, a, a Shavuot. Uh, now, I will say, uh, my recollections of growing up, the main thing it did on Shavuot was uh, is that the synagogue would be decked out with flowers, okay? Flowers and plants and, you know, things like that. Uh, because of the, in a, in a sense, like springtime harvest, uh, agriculture, th- th- that kind of thing. Uh, and then uh, we would eat, uh, not so much the cheesecake thing, but uh, blintzes was the uh, cheese blintzes, if you know what they are, right? That that's basically was the food, it, you know? I, I discovered the, the cheesecake relationship later on, later on in life. Uh, and, and I'm thankful for it, uh, you know. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> but anyway, uh, and so why why do we do that? Why do we eat those things? Uh, uh, because for there's several reasons. One is 
again, uh, the land in the Bible, the land is the focus of Shavuot, right? The harvest. So Israel is called the land of what? The land of milk and honey, right? And then that gets applied actually to the Torah, uh, you know, of uh, a sweetness uh, like milk and honey, and uh, and so uh, sweet dairy kinds of things uh, is the uh, is the tradition. But uh, there's a lot more to say about this holiday. Uh, uh, certainly, it's a profound uh, holy day for us as a messianic uh, uh, congregation because uh, not only are we remembering Sinai, not only are we remembering the great love of God toward us of revealing himself uh, uh, at, at the mountain uh, and then connecting with us via the, the, the Torah, uh, but also uh, the pouring out of, of the Spirit of God, a very important, a very important historical event in God's history, just as the uh, uh, of, of God's revelation at Sinai, very important uh, 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 historical event in God's history. So many thousands of years later is the pouring out of the Ruach HaKodesh in God's messianic history. Now, this holiday, uh, Rabbi sometimes referred to it as uh, Atzeret. Now, we may have heard that word before, Atzeret, right? Shmini Atzeret. The eighth day of, uh, of Sukkot, the extra day. You know, when you read about Sukkot, it's seven days and then, ah, there's an extra day, right? Uh, and, and it's called the, Atzeret means like the conclusion, you know, like the concluding day, the eighth, the, la- the last day, the eighth day, the conclusion. Uh, and so Shavuot is also called an Atzeret, uh, in the, you know, by the rabbis of rabbinic literature and so on and so forth. Uh, because uh, we might say, well, what is at the end of it? So it's a day, and it's actually where, you know, uh, it's the culmination of counting the Omer, right? The 50 days of counting the, or the 49 days of counting the Omer, right? Uh, uh, and so it is the conclusion of the entire Passover Omer time of year. Uh, in fact, the date of uh, the date of Shavuot is reliant on counting backwards, you know, of, of when Passover is, uh, you know, and then when the next day after Passover is when we start counting the the Omer. So the sixth of Sivan is what the date is, but the it, the reason it's that date is not because something happened on that date, but that's the day, that's the end of the of the count. See. Uh, and, and so it serves as a conclusion. But not only just as a, a, a counting days, it's not just, well, it's a conclusion of counting days. What else is it the uh, conclusion of? Well, we could say that at Passover, we came out of Egypt. We know we came out of Egypt, right? Uh, we were brought out of Egypt. Remember the, the cups, uh, you know, the cups at the Seder? First, it's where we were brought out of Egypt, and then we were delivered out of Egypt, right? And then redeemed out of Egypt, <laughs> right? Uh, and, uh, and so we could say that uh, uh, Passover is what takes us out of Egypt, but as uh, uh, some have written, that on Shavuot, 
we became free. That on Shavuot, we became free. Uh, in fact, uh, one uh, uh, rabbi refers to it as, well, first, we, will, first we, will, we were runaway slaves. Then we became free. And so what is it that took place on Sinai that indeed uh, made us free? Well, this encounter with God. Uh, so Sinai, it's very important to understand how the, the mountain itself becomes, as it were, a habitation of God. Uh, like, for example, uh, you know, an embassy in a country, right, is actually the property, is part of the country that, uh, that, the, uh, that the embassy is representing, right? Uh, and so, in, in a way, Sinai became like, you know, God's uh, embassy, God, God's, uh, God's mountain, Right uh, at at Sinai, so the mountain became the habitation of of God. The very presence of God was on the mountain. And when you look in chapter nineteen of Exodus, we see that you know the people had had to be uh, uh, holy. They had to make sure that they were purified, that they were consecrated, uh, because they the goal was to meet with God on the mountain, right? And you know, there's other places in the Bible. Uh, I always think of like Joshua, uh, the book of Joshua, right? Uh, where where uh, you have the angel of the Lord and the captain of the Lord of hosts, right? Uh, and it's a holy place. Or the, bu- the burning bush, uh, uh, which is interesting because in Hebrew... The burning bush itself in Hebrew is a, it sounds very much like Sinai. Sine. <laughs> sounds very much like Sinai. Uh, and probably on purpose. Uh, that, that, that is like a holy place, you know, where, where Moses meets God, right? The presence of God. So here you have the mountain. And remember that the people had to be, had to be made holy because the goal was that they were going to meet with God. The plan was not that they would stay at the bottom of the mountain and Moses would go up by himself. That ends up happening. But that was not the plan. If you look carefully uh, in verse uh, 12 and 13 of uh, Exodus chapter 19. Now, those of you that, uh, uh, that are regular Torah study attenders, we talk about this every year, right? Every year of when we come uh, to Yitro, this, this Torah portion in, in the year, we talk about how many times did Moses go up and down that mountain? You know, and, and what's the deal with the people? Were they supposed to go up the mountain or not? So uh, some of you are very familiar uh, with this from our year after year uh, looking at this in our uh, Torah study. So you see, right after he says, be ready, Right? Uh, notice it say, well, actually, I'll do what I always do. One verse earlier, in verse 11, he says, And let them be ready for the third day. On the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Now, then it says, And you shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, Beware that you do not go up on the mountain or touch the border of it, whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. 
No hand shall, shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. This is pretty serious stuff, right? Now, but then notice what it says. When the ram's horn sounds a long blast, they shall come up. And it sh your English translations should not have the word to. It's wrong. The reason it's translated that way is because the translators of some translations make the assumption that the people were never supposed to go up the mountain. But you read it in Hebrew. It says, go up the mountain. And thankfully, there's a, you know, a few different English translations that say, go up the mountain. God wanted to meet the people on the mountain. The mountain belonged to God. God is saying, I want you, I'm, I'm inviting you to come into my midst. Turn with me for a moment to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5 is the Deuteronomy version of the Ten Commandments, right? Of where Moses is retelling uh, this, re retelling the second generation. Remember, the entire generation died in the wilderness, right? Uh, and, uh, and so he's telling this generation. Now, we want to notice a couple of things here. Uh, beginning in verse 1, he says, Then Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the ordinances which I am speaking today in your hearing, that you may learn them and observe them carefully. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. Same place as Sinai. The Lord did not make this covenant with our fathers, but with us and all who are alive here today. So let me stop there and say that this is profound. We're not simply remembering something that God did with our ancient ancestors, but it is as if God made this covenant with every generation. These people were not there at Sinai, and Moses explicitly tells them that. Like, pay attention. He did not make this just with our fathers, but with us who are standing here today. The people got it. Like, we weren't there at Sinai, but God made this covenant with us. And may I suggest, with every successive generation, God continues this covenantal relationship. But then he says something else. The Lord spoke to you face to face at the mountain from the midst of the fire. Not just Moses, you know. The Lord spoke to Moses face to face, right? We know. But he's speaking here to all the people. The Lord spoke to you face to face at the mountain from the midst of the fire while I was standing between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord. For you were afraid because of the fire and did not go up the mountain. You were afraid and you did not go up the mountain. Now let's go back. And let's take a look for a brief moment in Exodus chapter 20, after the Ten Commandments, right after it, the end of chapter 20. Okay. Now, something we need to understand here, uh, and I'll just say it real briefly. It takes a Torah study to explain all this, but, but uh, I'll just explain it briefly. Here, this is not when Moses comes down with the tablets, Exodus 20. Okay. 
God has spoken this. And then Moses speaks this to, to the people. He has not gotten the tablets at all, at all yet. This is all, while all this is going on with the smoke and the fire and the, you know, the, the sounds of the shofar and all this, right? Okay. So at the end of the uh, telling of the Ten Commandments, what do we read? And all the people, in verse 18 of uh, uh, chapter 20, and all the people perceived the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. Then they said to Moses, go to us, go, or not go, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but not, but let not God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. For God has come in order to test you, in order that the fear of him may remain with you, that you may not sin. So the people stood at a distance while Moses approached God. Now, I will suggest to us that while God was testing them and while he, he wanted them to understand his holiness, his desire was not that they would be afraid of him. Okay, But this is what, this is what happens. Okay, God gave, uh, God gave the, the Torah to Israel. It ended up being uh, coming through Moses uh, and on tablets of stone uh, and all of that. Uh, uh, but we know what happens. The people are not able... God enters into the covenant with them. It is indeed like a marriage contract. The, the Torah that's given to them is, is like a ketubah. Uh, like a marriage document. God has entered into relationship. He becomes their king. He is their father. Uh, he is the husband. Uh, all, of, you know, all of those words, all of those uh, familial uh, kinds, of, uh, uh, kinds of words. And Israel is called to be a holy nation, uh, right? Uh, a royal, uh, uh, a priesthood and a holy nation, right? Uh, certainly at the beginning of uh, chapter 19, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Uh, yes, indeed, they enter into this. But we see already here a chink in the armor on Israel's side. God loves them. God has revealed himself. God has come. God invites them to his habitation, right? But Moses is the one who goes up. Through Moses, we get the tablets of stone. We were free, but not optimally free. Okay? Yes, we became a kingdom of priests and a holy nation belonging to him, but I'm going to suggest that the relationship, what God desired is that the people would freely love him. But what we see is while God freely loves the people, their relationship with him is a fearful one. Now, not long after this, it kind of happens again. It happens again, right? They're ready to enter the land, right? And so emissaries from the tribes go to the land, right, and come back and, uh, you know, uh, bring words of discouragement, right? It's a great land, flowing with milk and honey and uh, clusters of grapes, and it's unbelievable, but there's giants in the land, and so on and so forth. And much to the chagrin 
of Moses and Joshua and Caleb, the people are afraid and they won't go into the land. It's kind of like you, you see kind of like a model here or a paradigm. Uh, it kind of repeats itself, right? And so the generation dies in the wilderness. The, ge- the, the generation dies in, in the wilderness. But still, uh, we have this, uh, you know, we have this situation where the people uh, did not go up the mountain. They did not uh, enter the land and enter the land the way God desired for it uh, for it to be. And when you come to uh, the plains of Moab, when you come to the day uh, just before Moses dies and he's giving his last speeches, uh, you know, at the plains of Moab, just before he dies, and Joshua is then going to lead the people uh, into the land. He says this. He acknowledges this deficiency. He acknowledges this deficiency of of the people. First of all, he's been with the people for 40 years, and he knows all about their deficiencies. He knows all about their weaknesses. He knows all about rebellion. He knows all about people not trusting God over and over again. Yet God, God on his end of the covenant, Continue to love them unconditionally. Continued with all the complaining. He gave them water. He gave them food. He gave them everything that they needed so that they would learn to trust him. They had a hard time. They were, it's like a B minus. Maybe, maybe a C. I don't know. But, uh, it was, uh, clearly, uh, not the way it was intended to be. After all, they were not supposed to be in the wilderness all those years. Okay. They weren't supposed to stay at the bottom of the mountain. They weren't supposed to reject, uh, you know, the promise of, of the land when God wanted them to go in. But God never stopped loving them. So the unconditional love of God is, is real. It's the people that amazingly were so woefully deficient. So Moses says, in, in Deuteronomy chapter 29, he says, Yet to this day the Lord has not given you a heart to know, nor eyes to see, nor ears to hear. Okay? Uh, and, and you know, then what he's going to say in the next, the rest of chapter 29 is, is that when you get into the land, you're going to forget all about God and you're going to rebel. And then you're eventually and, and going to end up in exile. But God will still, I'm telling you this because God loves you. Don't think that he has forsaken you, okay? But then he's going to bring you back. He's going to bring you back to the land, right? And that's why the last verse, by the way, this is the by the way. By the way, the last verse of uh, Deuteronomy 29 is, the secret things belong to the Lord, our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever, that we may observe all the words of this, uh, of this law. And the reason that it says that they the secret things belong to God is because Moses anticipated that the people are going to ask, why is this happening? And why is this, why is it happening to me? Or why is it happening to my family? Or, you know, why are horrible things happening to, to, to us in exile? But then you'll notice after, remember, there were no chapter verses here. So verse 29, the secret things belong to the Lord is like this buffer verse because right after it, 
we read, So it shall be when all these things have come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call to mind uh, in the nations where the Lord your God has banished you, and you will return to the Lord and obey Him, and so on and so forth. Then you come down to verse uh, verse 6. Okay. In other words, from all the four corners of the earth, you're going to return. And then in verse 6 of chapter 30 of Deuteronomy, he says, Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with, that you may live. In other words, by not going up that mountain, what the people were not able to, they did get the Torah. They, 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 to this day, right? I, we have this unconditional relationship with God. But in order to love Him freely, there has to be this, this interaction that was supposed to take place at Sinai. Yes, we received the, the Torah. The Torah is, I, I, as we'll see in a moment here, the Torah is the way that God gave Israel to connect to Him. I, and the, the uh, Torah is not simply a law. It is, well, it's not a law code. It's not. It's not a law code. Uh, and, but it's not just instructions. It is the connection between Israel and God. And so it's really very interesting here, uh, because I, when you think, now when we go back to Sinai and we think about this issue of this, this, this thing about the people and the mountain and going in the mountain. We could say, you know, before Sinai, before Mount Sinai, before God took Sinai as his place, there was another place earlier on that was, so to speak, heaven on earth and that where people did dwell with God. And where was that? The Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden, right? Uh, and uh, what happened? Uh, humanity, Adam and Eve, right? Forfeited, we're, we're, we're kicked out of the garden. Kicked out of the garden, right? There was, avail- there was the availability of eating of the tree of life, right? Uh, they were not supposed to eat of the, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? But they did their, they rebelled and they, they had to leave the garden. And what do we like to say? That the story of the Bible is a story of ultimately returning, returning to Eden. Well, may I suggest that when God brought Israel out of Egypt, the first step in the redemption of the world was Israel having this moment with God in the mountain. And that in the mountain, God would not only give them the Torah, but circumcise their heart. But God did give them the Torah. And very interestingly, when you think about the Torah, the Torah is when we, you know, when we talk about uh, what it is in terms of substance, right? It's a way of life. What is it? It is uh, certainly uh, much of it. The majority of it is, the, you know, the the uh, the moral and ethical way of living. Uh, 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 you know, representing the very character of God, right? But not only that, but in our Siddur, I won't take the time to read the whole thing. Actually, I won't even look. But we did it this morning. What do we say when we lift up the, uh, when we lift up the, the uh, uh, Torah? It is a what? It is a tree of life 
to those who take hold of it. Comes from loosely from Proverbs three. <laughs> okay, uh, it is a tree of life to those who take hold of it. So, isn't it interesting that the Torah, in a way, is representative of what's in the Garden of Eden? The tree of life and the knowledge of good and evil. The Torah gives us the knowledge of good and evil, and it is indeed a, a, a tree of life. We could say that God was inviting the people, you know, uh, to, uh, to Eden. Uh, and so certainly the, the revelation at Sinai is, uh, is absolutely, uh, you know, absolutely profound. That's why it's called uh, the revelation. And that's why when we come to Shavuot, we're, we're reliving it. We're reliving the revelation. We're reliving the, 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 the glory of God in the reception of the, the Torah. But there's something else that Shavuot does, which is similar to almost to, to the, to every holiday. Always a looking forward, looking forward to the, uh, the ultimate consummation, the ultimate consummation of intimacy with God. And so it, while Shavuot is the conclusion, it also is a word of hope uh, uh, for uh, the future, okay? That we would have that circumcised heart, that we would uh, have, be empowered uh, to truly, you know, uh, be uh, in the in the kingdom of God and enjoying uh, all of the blessings of God uh, that He's promised throughout all of the prophetic scriptures and everything that that Moses writes and, uh, and you know and uh, and 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 all of it, right? Uh, and so uh, uh, Shavuot, in and of itself, is indeed uh, a, a glorious holiday of celebrating our our relationship with God, entering into covenant relationship, entering into, as it were, a marriage with a ketubah, right? And, and appreciating God's faithfulness uh, uh, to us, right? Very much so. But, as Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter 29, God has not given you eyes to see, ears to hear, or a heart of understanding. And the day is going to come when he, and as a result of that, it's going to be a rough go through history. It's going to be a rough go. Not because you're bad people, but because you're, you, there's a missing part to our covenant relationship. And that is the circumcised heart. And Moses promises that that day will indeed come. And that is understood as Jewish eschatology, Jewish end time teaching, belief, that this is what God will do. It's right here in, in Deuteronomy. And so when Yeshua came, when the Messiah came, we read right away in uh, the uh, Gospel of uh, John, in the first chapter, right? A passage we're all familiar with. Uh, in verse 17, the law, the Torah, was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Messiah Yeshua. The important difference here is not about law versus grace and truth. Grace and truth are used as terms to describe Torah. Uh, not in opposition, but uh, uh, perhaps we could say in apposition, right? 
Grace and truth is another way of saying Torah. What is being compared is, is Moses and Yeshua. Okay? Not that there's anything wrong with Moses, but Moses, as great as Moses was, the best Moses could do is explain it to us and give it to us. Yeshua realizes it, becomes it. Yeshua is Torah. And that's, that's what John is, uh, that's what John is, uh, saying here. And then when you jump to Acts chapter two, right? That, so we know that Yeshua lived, he died, he rose, uh, from the dead. He was with his disciples for 40 days, and then he disappeared into the clouds. Uh, and then uh, what Skip read in our new covenant portion comes to take, comes uh, to take place. The Ruach is poured out. And when you read uh, portions of it carefully, and when the day of Shavuot, it might say Pentecost in your Bible, but that is the Greek way of saying Shavuot. Okay? When uh, the day of Shavuot had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting, right? And there appeared to them as tongues of, as a fire, like this, a fire, right? Uh, above every, above the people's heads, right? And then it says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh, and they began speaking with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. And, and then he talks about, uh, you know, the different peoples because they could understand each other. Like, this was this uh, a great miracle, uh, this great miracle uh, uh, taking place. And then when you jump down uh, to verse 12, and they were all continuing uh, in amazement with great perplexity, saying, what's going on? Right? Uh, some thought they were drunk, right? But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, men of Judea, and all you who live in Jerusalem, let it be known to you, and give heed to my words, for these men are not drunk. Way too early for that. Okay? It is only the third hour of the day. But he's saying, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. Right? And about pouring out God's Spirit on all mankind, and, and all kinds of signs, and, and wonders, and, 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 and so forth. Right? Uh, and then in verse 22, he, then he begins to say, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Yeshua the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourself know uh, how uh, he died and he rose from the dead. And, and he articulates that uh, in these verses. But what's taking place uh, here? is the Spirit of God being poured out, the promise of the fathers. The Spirit of God is poured out. This is the beginning of the Olam Haba. This is the beginning of the consummation of what was supposed to happen, may I say, at Mount Sinai. But in the plan of God, this is how it all worked out. Uh, and uh, now Israel uh, has... Uh, this circumcised heart and all who embrace Messiah Yeshua have this circumcised heart in order to truly be able to live out the Shema, loving God with every bit of our being, uh, just as, as Moses says 
in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 30. So what you really have in Acts is a revival, a, a Jewish revival, uh, one might say. This is the continuity uh, here from what had come before. That now, now Moses could say, after Acts 2, you've given them eyes to see. You've given them ears to hear. You've given, you've given us a heart of understanding, right? And that comes through the Ruach HaKodesh. And, uh, and Israel was called to be a light to the nations. Now Israel had the tools to really be a light to the nations. Uh, and, uh, and so, I, uh, and, and now also, turn with me to, a, a, a very quickly to a passage we looked at yesterday. In Romans chapter 5. And this is very, very important. Remember what I said at the beginning? Uh, that uh, not going up to Sinai, not entering the land, the people were bound by fear and not able to really move forward in the way that God had desired. But what does Paul say here? He says uh, here, I'll just read verse 5. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The Holy Spirit given to us is, Paul says, it's tantamount to saying the love of God was given to us. We can now, He loved us, yes, while we were enemies, while we were helpless, while we were sinners, just like at Sinai. But now we can now love him. And what do we read a little bit later on in Romans chapter 8, in verse 15 and six, uh, verse 14 and 15 and 16? For all who are being led by the Ruach, by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. This, this love relationship, this work that God has done in our hearts. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs and heirs, fellow heirs, with Messiah, if indeed we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified uh, with him. Uh, and, uh, and so what takes place via Yeshua is the solution, is the solution to the problem. And as a result of that, the whole world is blessed. As a result of that, the whole world is blessed. The Ruach is poured out. Israel now can, now, uh, can, uh, have the kind of relationship with God that God desired from the beginning. Uh, yes, He gave us the Torah and we've had the Torah for thousands of years. And it is, it is a tree of life to all who, who take hold of it. But now we can really have the life in Messiah Yeshua, in the Ruach. And that's why in the 11th chapter of Romans, we read, I say then they did not stumble so as to fall, that they may it never be. By their transgression, salvation has come to the, come to Gentiles to make them jealous. Uh, and then uh, he says, it, it, now if their transgressions be riches for the world and their failure be riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? 
And so this pouring out of the Ruach and, uh, and now and this, this hope of Israel for Israel and the nations is indeed the hope of the world. And, and so that's what we celebrate on Shavuot. We celebrate the answer to the problem. We celebrate this intimacy now that we can have with God. Uh, we celebrate this marriage relationship that now has begun to be consummated via the Ruach HaKodesh. There's a million ways of saying it. You know, the, the inauguration of the kingdom, the, the beginning of the world to come. Uh, but all in this Jewish messianic framework of, the, of God's story. See? Okay? So that's why Sinai certainly remains very important. But I will also say this in conclusion, that this answers, I think, uh, a question about a, a, a somewhat, that could be somewhat of a difficult portion in the book of Hebrews, in the 12th chapter. In the 12th chapter of, of, uh, of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says this in verse 18. You have not come to a mountain, uh, where, yeah, for you have not come to a mountain that may be touched and to a blazing fire and to darkness and gloom and whirlwind and to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words, which sound was such that those who heard begged that no further word should be spoken to them. For they could not bear the command. If even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, and to the general assembly and the ecclesia, the community, the kihila, if we were in Israel, we'd say the, kihila, the kihila, uh of the, of the firstborn, or in Greek, the ecclesia of the firstborn, who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits and righteousness, uh, uh, men, uh, righteous men made perfect, and to Yeshua, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of, of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse he who is speaking. This passage is not about uh, any kind of supersessionism or anything like um, leave the Jewish world behind and enter the Christian world or uh, the, the Torah, not right, Sinai, Torah, now uh, the mountain, uh, Zion, Yeshua, no, it's not saying that at all. It's saying, now recognize that the promise of God is complete in, in the sense that now, you know, you do not have to be in fear. You do not have to tremble. But in Messiah Yeshua, you enter into the realm that God has always desired His people to be in. God has always desired, yes, that Israel would have eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart of understanding. Uh, you shall be my people. I will be your God. You shall be my people. In the most intimate of and powerful of ways. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, yes, now, now that is uh, available. Don't shrink back. But don't be fearful is what he's talking about. It's fearful. He's not talking about the Torah or Zion's better than Sinai or something like that. So don't be fearful. But now you freely enter into the presence of God. And that is why in the 10th chapter, right, uh, of, of Hebrews, written to Jewish believers, right? Uh, uh, he says, 
now you enter through a new and living way. That's always been God's desire. And we look forward to the day, we look forward to the day when, uh, you know, God will uh, re- return, when Yeshua will return and, and acquire the whole world again, not just a mountain at, 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 at you know, at uh, Sinai, but the whole world. Uh, and, uh, and, and, you know, the whole world will be, will belong to God and the whole world will be holy and the whole world will be in, uh, you, you know, uh, no longer alienated from God uh, and have this intimacy and empower, and empowerment and so on. And so uh, today on uh, Shavuot, uh, may we, uh, uh, you know, as it were, renew our marriage vows with God. May we uh, renew the covenant relationship with God. And to say to God, yes, Lord, I love you. Yes, Lord, thank you for the, the, the Torah way of life. Thank you for the relationship that I have with you. Thank you for the inheritance uh, that, that we have in you and in your blessings. And may we go from here renewed, restored, uh, empowered to be the answer to the problem not of Israel here, but of the whole world. The answer to the alienation. The answer to the confusion. The answer to the, uh, to the brokenness of this uh, world. And may we uh, demonstrate what it means to be, so to speak, in the mountain and live in the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you. Uh, we thank you for uh, the, uh, the great truth of this, Lord. Thank you for Shavuot. Thank you, Lord, that you loved uh, Israel. You loved our people so much that you came to Mount Sinai uh, and you gave us, indeed, the Torah and you have preserved us uh, for thousands of years and you have loved on us for thousands uh, of years. And thank you, Lord, that in that history, you sent Messiah Yeshua to Eretz Yisrael, to the land of Israel. Uh, you sent the Messiah uh, to our people to be the answer to the problem, Lord. And we thank you that uh, you have uh, uh, poured out the Ruach so that whoever, whoever embraces you can have this relationship. Jew, Gentile, no matter who, can have this intimacy indeed uh, with you. And so we thank you for this love relationship, Lord, uh, that uh, you uh, have always desired and have given us, whether we're talking about Eden, Sinai, Zion, or the return to Eden, Lord. Thank you, God, that even in this world, we can live in your realm. We are seated indeed in heavenly places, Lord. May uh, we make a difference in this world. We pray in Yeshua's name.